Hello and welcome to the Parish Podcast of St. Anthony of Padua Catholic Church in the Woodlands, Texas. We're excited to share with you Sunday at St. Anthony's, a homily message from this past weekend that we hope you'll find enlightening. Thanks for tuning in and praying with us. Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever loves me will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Yet the word you hear is not mine, but that of the Father who sent me. I have told you this while I am with you. The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I told you. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled or afraid. You heard me tell you, I am going away and I will come back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. And this is the Gospel of the Lord. Within today's collect, we prayed, Grant, Almighty God, that we may celebrate with heartfelt devotion these days of joy, which we keep in honor of the risen Lord, that what we relive in remembrance, we may always hold on to in what we do. So what are we celebrating? What are we supposed to hold on to with heartfelt devotion? One, in this particular passage, which note, this is, this is Holy Thursday night, and we've been reading from John. Now, in the synoptic Gospels, like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they give us about 30 verses of what happens Holy Thursday. John gives us five chapters. He sees what happens this night to be very important. What is one of the very important things that's revealed this night? The Trinity. While Jesus has talked about the Father at some points, he's talked about the Holy Spirit, the Advocate at other points, he links them all together now and says we are one. And he's revealing that this is, this is the love of God. This is one God, three persons, and they are all one. Again, we celebrate this. And we celebrate this because we are invited into it. This is precisely what he's trying to tell us as he's talking about his, his love remaining in us and us in him. It will be through the passion, the death, and the resurrection and ascension which note, we're, we, in Texas, we don't celebrate on Thursday as the traditional date, but the bishops move it to Sunday. Why? Because they want us to celebrate. Because it's only because of the ascension that we have access now to the life of the Trinity. Because Jesus brings into heaven his passion, his death, as he is risen from the dead. He brings the merits of everything he did to heaven so that the Father, looking at his perfect gift of love and one now offered by humanity because he took humanity to himself, now the Father wants to lavish love upon the world and upon us 
who have been made little Christs. He wants to bring us to the new creation that he has always desired, which precisely that's what's being spoken of in, our, in the book of Revelation today. That spoke, the, 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 the speaking of those particular uh, jewels and how, how the heavenly kingdom looks is hearkening all the way back to Genesis 2 when it says those particular jewels were found in like the, re- the rivers that flow forth from the Garden of Eden. God is showing that he's doing something new. He's recreating the earth. And he desires us to be a part of that new recreation, to be with him, to be with the lamb, to be with the one who gives light beyond like earthly light, but the supernatural light who is where we, where we no longer need a temple because he is the temple. He is the place of intimacy with God. And if we're there and we're with him, we too are are in that intimacy. This is what we desire to celebrate with heartfelt devotion and joy. We, especially because we have been brought into it. We who are not, uh, we, are, we who are non-Jewish people, we who are Gentiles have been brought into the mystical body of Christ, the church. He has fulfilled the old covenant and revealed now his, true, his church and it even built on apostolic foundations. And note well, we're not just talking about, like what we, when we say, like, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church in the creed, we're not just saying we believe that, like, okay, this bishop uh, consecrated this bishop, and he consecrated this bishop, and he, and yes, we have that. And it goes all the way back to the apostles. But what we're also saying, as John is speaking of in the book of Revelation, which is telling us about the already, but the not yet lived and experienced by us, is that the apostles are there. They are the foundation of this new heavenly Jerusalem and they are alive and active and interceding and sharing forth the authority of God still now in time through the church. This la- the last thing that I would have us meditate upon majorly today um, would be what that means. So we talk about in the church the magisterium. We talk about the teaching authority of the church. That is God's authority spoken, conveyed to mere, like to us through mere man. We give thanks to God that he's, that he again has, has, has allowed his power, he shares his power, his, his infinite power with us through the ordination of priests so that we may have the Eucharist, we may have baptism, we may have all the sacraments. But so too he doesn't, um, that's not it. He, again, he wants the divine life, he wants us united with the Trinity and that's what comes through the sacraments, but he also wants us to walk the way in truth, to have the life. And this is what the magisterium is for. And that brings us to our first reading. In the very beginning, it's already being used. The Holy Spirit is already guiding the church, guiding her authority through the apostles. People are converting. Jews and Gentiles alike are becoming Christian. But of course, what happens? When you get a bunch of people together, there's some fighting. St. Luke puts it so nicely. He says, no little dissension arose. They're fighting and yelling at each other. They're arguing, though, and why wouldn't you, in a certain sense, because they're arguing about the most important thing. How is someone saved? Is it going to be through circumcision? Is Christianity going to be like a, a big old sect of, of Judaism that's like fulfilled, or are we something new? And if so, how are people saved? And so what happens? The first ecumenical council is called. The apostles gather together. The bishops gather together, and they decide. It kind of gets skipped in this little piece of the reading that we get, but they decide, and they decide, like, no, no circumcision 
is needed anymore. The, what was in Deuteronomy, what was in the second law that Moses gave, because the people could not, like, were still falling into the pagan ways, and so Moses had to keep giving more laws and more laws and more laws to keep them safe so their hearts could be God's. That's done away with because Jesus Christ has come. They say no circumcision, but okay, also make sure that you don't do certain actions, like these illicit sexual actions and marriages, and of course, also the other things they tell them to avoid is things that would cause scandal to the Jewish brothers and sisters who are becoming, who are becoming Christian, Catholic. They decide this, of course, because, and this is the thing about the magisterium and the Holy Spirit continuing to move, it will continue to grow. Their understanding will continue not to change necessarily, not to go from one thing to another, but to continue to deepen. This is one of the promises that Jesus is saying of the Holy Spirit. He will teach and he will remind you of the truth. And so they're learning like that there, there's always had to be sacrifice. There's always sacrifice in covenant with God. Whether it be when Adam and Eve sin and, Christ, and God sacrifices animals to give them clothes, whether it be Cain and Abel, where Cain, like Abel offers a right sacrifice, blood is shed. Abraham, blood is shed. Circumcision is the sign of the covenant. It's what allows him to enter in. They reflect upon, okay, we know sacrifice is necessary for covenant with God. But where sacrifice of the flesh happened under Abraham, now when Christ has sacrificed his flesh, we have the ability to receive the merits of what he has done through the waters of baptism, through the sacrament he established. Moreover, like we're called to keep participating in it after baptism, to offer our sacrifices. That's what we come to do today. Most perfectly through the Eucharist where we unite ourselves to his sacrifice. And no, like not just as we typically think of it, a remembrance. No, as the, our opening prayer said, a reliving. We are engaged in the one sacrifice of Christ. Hence, the church has all this ritual around it to remind us that we are living in it. That we are encountering his sacrifice, his blood that was shed. We're encountering him, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And we join all our other sacrifices that we might do throughout the week, all our acts of charity, our giving up evil things and our taking on like good things that we need. Again, in sacrifice, we do that so that God, joined with his sacrifice, may pour abundant grace upon us. And we may live in him and he in us. Back to speaking of magisterium, like if, I want us to notice a few things. It's not like right after this happens, they send out the letter with uh, Silas and Bar Barsabbas, that everything just goes well. If we keep reading our scriptures, Paul is going to have to spend basically the rest of his missionary time trying to explain this stuff and get people to understand what the church has taught. So too, the church even knows that this is going to be a contentious issue still. That's why they send Barsabbas or Judas and Silas to go with Paul and Barnabas. Because they want them to understand the church has spoken. And when she has, because the Holy Spirit is in her, you can trust it. But the church knows the people are going to have a hard time submitting to authority, and especially when it's at odds with their lived experience. Now, if we're going to apply this to our time and see how we can still keep learning, remembering uh, with the Holy Spirit, we ought to recognize that there's a... Again, we are sinners in need of a Savior, and that's why there will always be some level of contention and some fighting in the institutional church. We're seeing it right now with the German bishops who are basically rejecting pieces of the faith. 
and God, like, love them, and we pray for them. This is happening because, not only because we have the errors of, like, modernism and postmodernism, these are psychological, or philosophical, excuse me, ideas that are errant, that is, like, erring ways of reasoning that started, like, 500 years ago and that are coming to a head right now. But it's because those things infected people within the church. And thus, they won't submit to the truth, truth that sets free, truth that unites us. We recognize that we live in tumultuous times. If we want to look at the history of the church, anytime there is a council, it takes about a hundred years for it to be realized. Where are we? The Second Vatican Council ended in 1965. We have about 40 more years of like fighting things through, of remembering with the Holy Spirit who we are, like who God says like we are, and again, the truths of the faith. So what are we to do, brothers and sisters? Because our salvation, as they're fighting over our salvation and the salvation of others is at stake. We must, if anything, like look at what the council actually taught us and what our faith has taught us throughout the ages. If we're looking at what the Second Vatican Council like was trying to do, which is still being fought over, note that it, it even said of itself, John the 23rd, Pope John the 23rd said that it was supposed to preserve the perennial truths not changing anything, but rather preserving the whole of the faith and all of sacred tradition, but presenting it in a new way so that the modern person who has such a hard time with God, such a hard time with authority, may accept it and be saved. This goes not only for the agnostic or the atheist. Note well, this goes for the Catholic too. There are so many Catholics who don't believe what the church actually professes and believes. This is why you saw after the council, many priests, many nuns left the church because they didn't actually believe what the church believed and they wanted it to change with the times rather than having a church that changes our times to be good and holy and the people of God. So too, we still have this today and this is why we must pray but as well, this is much we, mu we must learn. The new evangelization that John Paul II called us to was again for precisely us who are here, we who are the Catholics, we who are in the pews, or even those are our loved ones who have fallen away, who call themselves Catholic, were baptized Catholic, to come and learn the truth, to come to learn the truth that will set them free, to learn in the goodness and the beauty of our faith so that it may be accepted and loved and surrendered to so that we may have life, and life to the fullest. My encouragement to you is, to, in this time of tumult, that again, we even saw begin in the early church, is to keep studying the faith. Read the documents of the Second Vatican Council. Read Sacrosanctum Concilium on the liturgy. Read Dei Verbum on the scriptures. Read Lumen Gentium about how we're supposed to be a light to the nations. Read these things. Read as well the, the documents that come before. There's so much beauty, so much richness to our faith that we can, as we read, we can encounter God and we can fall more deeply in love with him. This is the hope, should be the hope for all of us, not only to make sure that we're not infected with error, but again, so that we may know the truth, the truth may unite us as a people, and that truth may set us all free. This is what we hope for. This is what we ask the Holy Spirit for, that not only he teaches, he remind us again of who we are, 
so that our heartfelt devotion may grow, our love may grow, our joy may grow so that others may see it. Others may come to repent, believe, surrender, and have the joy and the peace that comes from God. If this sounds intimidating, we hear the words of Jesus Christ today. Do not let your hearts be troubled or afraid. While learning sometimes can be intimidating because it means we're going to find something that's going to challenge us. And it's we're going to find something that maybe it's going to cause us to, to do things differently. These sacrifices, these sacrifices of encountering the word, the word of the Father spoken through the Son, spoken still through his church, his mystical body, these are the things that help us to love. These are the things that are so worth it. Because as we spend the time sacrificing to get to know him, we can love him more. And the beauty and the intimacy that comes from relationship with God can grow in us. And we will remain in him and him in us. If we're intimidated still, the reminder and the promise from God today is the Father and the Son will send the advocate. will send the paraclete as we anticipate in Pentecost. And what does paraclete mean? The one who will walk along our side. We can get overwhelmed by how much there is to learn, how much beauty, how much goodness, how much truth there is in the church. But we know as we just take in a little bit at a time, pray with it, that as we absorb and encounter, rather, Scripture, Jesus, in Scripture and tradition, he, through the Holy Spirit, who he sends to walk alongside us, will teach us, will remind us, so that we may rediscover the truth of our faith. Thanks be to God for this promise that he makes to us today, that he will accompany us as we pursue him, as we surrender to him, as we sacrifice in love for him. This will renew us. This will renew our hearts. This will renew the church. And this will renew the face of the earth. St. Anthony of Padua.